0: My name is Jordan Ross, and thanks for listening to What's Your Limp? I'm an actor and the host of this podcast, but I also happen to have cerebral palsy and scoliosis resulting in a limp. That limp led to vicious bullying in high school, limited opportunities as an actor, a number of insecurities, and severe depression. However, over time, I slowly learned to open up about my feelings, which showed me that I'm not alone because the more I opened up, the more others opened up to me. I quickly learned that everyone has a limp, whether it's physical or internal. I stopped seeing my limp as a weakness and began to see it as an asset. And that's the goal of this podcast is to help others do the same. So as you listen to my conversations with some of your favorite actors, athletes, singers, and public figures, listen closely because you might just find out that some of them struggle with the exact same limp as you. So let's all learn to love our limps together. before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors. I am talking about Buzzed Bull Creamery and Grapevine, Texas. Now, Buzzed Bull is a really unique ice cream shop that offers all of their flavors, either buzzed or non-buzzed, aka with or without alcohol. Uh, not only that, but they have over one million different flavor combinations, and they're really, really cool flavors. They have a, a delicious s'mores ice cream, that is uh, has marshmallow flavor graham crackers uh, some chocolate and if you want it buzz you can get it with whiskey which is really good i've tried it they also have a delicious margarita ice cream which you could get in any flavor that you would get an actual margarita and it literally does taste like you're eating a margarita that had been turned into ice cream it is so so good and it's the creamiest sorbet that i've ever had but like i said they offer all of their flavors non-buzzed as well so you can bring the whole family it is fun for all ages it's located in historic downtown grapevine be sure to go check them out and let them know that jordan with what's your limp sent you and they'll take good care of you And to keep up with all of their latest flavors, as well as any events they have going on, go follow them at TX on Instagram. And one more thing before we move into this episode... I also want to remind all of you Chosen fans out there that The Chosen is releasing the first two episodes of Season 3 theatrically worldwide on November 18th, so if you're in any English-speaking region, you should be getting The Chosen in theaters near you, uh, starting on November 18th, where it will run exclusively for at least a few weeks before moving over to the app, where it will... Uh, shortly after be joined by the rest of the episodes from season three so be sure to go to theaters starting november 18th to watch the chosen on the big screen for the first time ever with a huge room filled with other passionate die-hard chosen fans and maybe you'll even see a few cast members pop up here or there because uh i know that i personally will be attending a few different screenings throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Uh, So if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in particular, I highly recommend going to see The Chosen in theaters. And this is easily our biggest season yet, uh, so there's no better way to experience it, in my humble opinion. Anyway, now that we got all of that stuff out of the way, what is up my fellow limpers? Thank you for listening to another episode of the What's Your Limp podcast. And today i am and today i am super excited to be sharing my conversation with amanda Jeros, who played my wife on 1883 And uh, you also might have seen her from Insidious, The Last Key, as well as Women of the Movement and much more. She is a super talented actress, a great human being, a really talented writer as well. Uh, But more importantly than all of that stuff, she is doing incredibly important and admirable work in the area of uh, helping victims of human trafficking. So we get into all of that stuff in this episode. We talk about our experience on 1883, um, you know, wrestling with with insecurities as actors and uh, all of the work that Amanda is doing to, uh, again, help victims. So without further ado, sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Amanda. So uh yeah so like what have you when did we wrap by the way how long has it been now
1: January middle of January
0: Okay yeah, yeah. so it's been a little bit that's really yeah. weird um, I know
1: I know it's been it's been almost 10 months
0: Yeah that's crazy yeah, Well I know. this time I keep getting because at, at this point last year we were like shooting so it's weird to get these like facebook memories popping up of like this is what i was doing on this day last year so it's bringing back all these these emotions from while we were shooting um but what have you been up to since like what, what have you been doing to to stay busy
1: oh my gosh craziness um so i've traveled a bit i've uh been working on a lot of scripts um, I've had three in development and, um, I've just been packaging two TV shows, um, so doing more on the writing side. And, um, I am now working with a, a new team of theatrical agents. Um, so that will hopefully start picking up soon.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, yeah, just a lot of more, a lot of writing in this season until yeah. the next acting thing comes along, but I I love writing as much as I love acting. So it's, um, it's a win-win for me and also volunteering, yeah. right. um, with after hours ministry. So, um, and doing a lot of anti-trafficking awareness, um, yeah. in that field as well. Yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. I, I was going to say, because like, I, whenever there are like the slow times, it's nice to have another thing that you enjoy just as much. And for the longest time, like I always tried to find my thing that I enjoyed doing as much as acting or even as close, like close to as much as I enjoyed acting. Um, but I couldn't find it. Like I would try doing little things. Like I did a YouTube video where I like reviewed movies for a while. Oh um, God. and then I, <laughs> I would, yeah, not at all, because I'm just like <laughs> watching movies and talking about movies that I wish I was in. So
2: know, right, it was, right, uh,
0: right. <laughs> it almost made it worse. But now the podcast, it kind of like it happened. It just kind of, you know, fell into my lap, and now I really enjoy doing it. So it's like once I'm done shooting, I, I can still like you know put myself into this, and it, it's I feel fulfilled, and it's like I get to reconnect with friends and, and catch up with people and yeah. um, make new friends, and it's it's been really cool. So I'm glad that you have writing as well, like as uh, you know, an outlet in between the acting jobs.
1: Yeah, well, and and one fuels the other. You know, I feel like I've become a better actor, knowing how to do in-depth script analysis and um, identify character arcs and um, have a variety of choices and then vice versa, Um, you know, I feel like acting's made me a better writer where I understand wanting to have rich characters and strong objectives and um, strong obstacles in each story. So, um, so yeah, I feel like the, the two definitely fuel each other.
0: Yeah, for sure. I I want to talk more about acting and all of that in a bit. But just kind of I rewind a lot and start from the beginning. So like, what was childhood like for you? where did you grow up? How did you find acting? All of that kind of stuff.
1: Nobody talks to me about my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I grew up in um, the burbs of Chicago. um, And honestly had a a fairly good childhood i think um you know loving parents loved my siblings although we would fight like cats and dogs um and loved animals and my parents were very patient because we basically had like a zoo at our house um yeah so many so many animals jordan <laughs>
0: <laughs> i can um, relate we did as well
1: uh, yes well you had actual zoo animals like. yeah.
0: we had so, we had like bison like yeah, we had, we're... yeah it was pretty crazy
1: yeah you, we don't raise bison outside of <laughs> Chicago but yeah. um um no we had like hamsters and guinea pigs and gerbils and fish and dogs and rabbits so many rabbits um and yeah it was it was a wild time but Um, I loved it. And then I I would also get to spend um, a lot of time in Wisconsin um, at my family's cabin. And so um, I've always really appreciated nature. Didn't
0: didn't y'all travel to like uh, all of the national parks Uh, as a kid? I feel like I remember you saying something about that.
1: We have traveled to a lot of national parks. My dad had and has an Mm -hmm. obsession with Lewis and Clark that's
2: right yes so
1: we would follow the trails of lewis and clark and end up going on these extravagant long road trips or train trips um it was really rare for us to fly as a family so we would either do amtrak or um really long road Mm -hmm. trips which is how i think i started learning how to fall asleep on the car which is not good when you fall asleep by the wheel so i had to retrain myself to get out of that. yeah (laughs) but um but yes no so i i've explored parts of the nation that I don't think people will ever see um but I absolutely love it like wildlife and and just the preservation of of these great state parks is just wonderful and um yeah so we've done a, a bunch of adventures um and I still do that to this day um, it's still a delay of mine. And um, even when we were working on the show, like on our, it was rare to have days off, but I would always try yeah. and find something to do in the area <laughs> that would be, um, that would be fun. So, well, uh, we got
0: to shoot in some pretty cool like locations as well. So there's always something like fun to go explore or, or look at.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, yes. And then it was nice being able to to go back to a hotel and shower because you just feel dirty. <laughs> yeah (laughs) sweating to death but but, um but it was the best you know um the best and the worst and um but yeah I'm all for um exploring uh different landscapes and yeah um town small towns I'm obsessed with small towns same um, yeah
0: um how did you like find acting and and like at what point did you start, did you realize that this was like what you wanted to pursue as a career?
1: Good question. So I thought when I was little, I really wanted to be a vet or a zoologist. Because again, I had this love for animals.
2: Yeah, I think we've talked about this
0: because I wanted to be a vet when I was a little kid oh, that's as well. Right. Yes. So, we both yeah. want to be
1: vets and we both have scoliosis. Yeah,
0: that's why we got married.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our characters were made <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Um.
1: And yes. So, uh, I, it was either biology honors biology or chemistry and I did not do well. I definitely didn't do well in chemistry, but I think when I was trying to understand like basic cell structure,
2: <laughs> biology,
1: yeah. um, I was discouraged because I was like, dad, this doesn't feel like it's my strength. And, um, I don't know how I'm going to be a vet if I can't understand, you know, the science behind. Uh, how to do a a surgery on an animal or, you know, whatever. And, um, and my dad, I remember looked at me and he goes, have you ever thought about being an actor? The moment he said that I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. Cause I was in all these school plays growing up. I had looked at doing more, um, acting work in Chicago, even as a kid. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I just knew that that was what I was meant to do. Um, And then simultaneously, what's interesting is also growing up, I would write um, with acting. So for instance, I wrote a piece that like won some like young playwrights festival that or something that ended up, they turned into a theater piece that actually was played at my school. So I got to see a script that I wrote as a kid and now these live actors performing it Um, or when I was in high school, I did, um, speech and debate and, and they also have different, um, acting categories and I would write original one woman shows and perform them. Um, so it was always this balance of, of the two. Um, but yeah, I've known, I've known I was going to be in the entertainment industry for, for some time. It always felt natural to me.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask too about like how your parents um reacted to it but since your dad's one that like gave you the idea <laughs> I assume they were pretty supportive throughout the whole journey
1: yeah they've they've both been very supportive throughout the whole journey my mom actually came to the premiere of 1883 that's right um, yeah she was so excited and um yeah they've they've both been great cheerleaders along the way and they've seen the highs and the lows you know sometimes some years are have more work than others and um And, you know, now I'm in a season where, uh, you know, I really want to play rich characters. And, um, and so it's, it's really great that they're just so supportive in whatever choices I choose to make. Um, So that's been, that's been great.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's so important. My mom actually, for The Chosen, We wrapped, like, I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, I can't remember, it all blends together, but we wrapped recently, and um, we now, the first two episodes are going to be released theatrically, um, and it'll be, uh, we're doing our first ever red carpet premiere in atlanta oh, okay. on november 15th so okay. it'll be uh my mom is it'll be my first like premiere for something so uh my mom is is going out there as well so i'm, I'm excited oh, to i
1: love that have her. yeah it would be so great because your parents have always been supportive of your acting career too
0: yeah um you you do want to protect your children you don't want them to be hurt but at the same time um I think that my mom's approach of like whatever you want to do I believe in you you can accomplish it even if it's not always true um I it definitely helped because you know in order to accomplish you know the big things that we we dream up uh I feel like you do have to have a bit of um delusion (laughs) and you have to uh you know this this kind of like this, this confidence that like no matter what you're gonna you're gonna make it even though that's not always the case and I, I think that um that has definitely helped but uh so 1883 though leading up to that once you got that um for that was definitely the longest shoot that I had ever done mm-hmm. at the time and it was one of the most brutal so like what was <laughs> the I want to talk a lot about that um but what was your It was also one of the best experiences I've ever had. I don't want to make it sound like it was this horrible thing. No,
1: it was also fantastic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But leading up to 1883, what was that uh, audition process? How did you find out you got it? Like what was going through your mind with all of that?
1: Yeah. So 2021 was a a really awesome, busy year for me. And I had just come off of um, a feature film, another show, Women of the Movement on ABC. Um I had done a little stint on another show um and then another feature film, and so it was kind of like my month off in twenty twenty one was May it was mm-hmm. like half of April and may um and then um so I was working on a doll's house, which is an American pantheon film um and kind of like this experimental um theater piece turned into um obviously a feature film yeah. and so I'm in the middle of that process and I get an email from my old Chicago agent from back in the day um and they're like we got you this audition for um this new Taylor Sheridan show do you want to put something on tape and I was like how weird (laughs) that I'm, I haven't heard from you in years and they're lovely. They just knew that I had, you know, I'd been working, um, in other places and, um, and their regional agent just to, um, Illinois and they get me this, this piece on, you know, 1883. So I said, yeah, I can put something on tape, of course. Um, and I looked up the show and I was really excited about it. And I looked up Alina's breakdown and I knew that I would fit the role pretty well, um, and so I just put something on tape. Um, drove out to a dear friend in Ohio, and um, and yeah, he he was gracious and, and put me on tape. And then um, I had I didn't know if I had booked it or not. I hadn't heard anything, and then they booked me straight off of that tape. Um, and I found out I originally they wanted me out. August 24th or so, whenever, um, most of us had gotten together and then I got a notice, no, you should come to cowboy camp. Can you leave in three days? Yeah. Um, and which was really two days because I had my, one of my best friends' weddings and I was a maid of honor. And so that day is just wiped out. (laughs) It's like, Oh, okay. I have like two days to figure out where my dogs are going, pack up my life. I don't know when I'm coming back um and it all worked out which
0: is yeah yeah it was uh yeah like whenever I booked it it was I I had found out that they were shooting a lot of it in Fort Worth or near Fort Worth Mm -hmm. so I just looked up the emails of the producers and just like cold emailed them and was like hey here's my stuff I'd love to audition and then
1: which that's ballsy Jordan
0: I mean it's how I've it's kind of been uh how i've been able to like get this podcast going because i've i've learned how to one find the contact information for people but two uh, <laughs> yeah and and two like email them in a way that's not like wait who is this guy how did he get my email like yeah where...
1: nobody wants to feel like somebody's creeping on them
0: yeah so yeah. it's it's a it's a you know a science i i it took a while to to perfect but um i just emailed them and then a couple of days later I got an audition for like basically they wanted me to read for five different characters um it was like every male immigrant character basically um so I did all of those and then uh I got Mikkel and it was one of those things where I thought like oh cool I you know, because of the scene, it was literally, the line was, sorry, no English, and um, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna work a day, maybe a couple of extra days, because I didn't know the whole story. Um,
2: oh, you're in and, for a treat. <laughs>
0: yeah, and uh, I I got there, and it, even, like, once we started, because th- there wasn't, um, there it was such a huge cast. Oh, most of us, really, didn't really know how long we'd be around and like Mm -hmm. how many days we'd work and how many episodes we were in. So Mm -hmm. for a lot of us, we're kind of piecing it together as we're going. Um, I remember, spoiler alert, uh, if if you (laughs) haven't seen 1883, watch it now. But um, I remember finding out like that you and i make it to episode nine and Mm -hmm. what happens to us and that was like a month into filming so i uh it was it was definitely an interesting um experience piecing all of the the you know little bits of information together but
2: yeah
0: it um i wanted to ask you like as actors we always we want something we can like really sink our teeth into and like flesh out characters but you know we worked like a a lot of days over the course of those six months um but only really got to speak in you know three days or something like that like Mm -hmm. in in the scene the vast majority of the days we're in a wagon you know 200 yards away cross where, stitching yeah
2: the
1: cross stitches i brought
0: exactly <laughs> um having asthma attacks and oh, like oh stepping my gosh, on
1: night
2: oh my god yeah.
0: and like you know trying not to step on those like yucca plants and all of this stuff like there was it was the oh, yucca yeah. Yeah, I hated those, but there was so much like uh, downtime, and on one hand, it was so much fun because we got to know everyone really well.
2: Yeah,
0: we got to like, you know, there's so many days where we're just literally goofing around in the very back because <laughs> the camera cannot see us. We're we're literally specks on the screen. Um,
1: reveal all of our secrets. <laughs> to I know, right? Well,
0: Constantine, I'm gonna call him out because he oh was. Oh my
1: gosh! If Constantine's watching. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember (laughs) I think at one point he made it a point to try and make me laugh and I just knew the cameras were rolling and I'm I'm of the mindset that cameras are rolling and you know maybe they'll see you. Right. Like you have to be in character and so he kept trying and I was just like deadpan like.
0: Was this when he (laughs) was like (laughs) he was like just doing these really exaggerated like (laughs) Uh, gestures and he's like pointing (laughs) at like nothing and yeah I think I remember that too (laughs) when when
1: they would call cut I would just like bust a gut but I had to hold it because I was like there's a chance (laughs) yeah yeah.
0: well that's why so it was fun though because you and I every scene pretty much were like glued to the hip um Mm -hmm. but we had a lot of one I did appreciate that you were always in character even when um, you know, we're, cause like we're, we're shooting these scenes that take all day. They were really long days. And, um, we maybe a glimpse shows up on, on film Mm -hmm. and, uh, whenever they piece it all together, but it was like, it was still fun, even though 99.9% of the stuff we were doing is never going to be seen. Um, it was, it was nice getting to just like be in the moment and getting to like react to what's happening and create our own little stories. Like there is one moment that, I think it actually shows up uh, for like a split second, but where Mark, uh, who plays Joseph, is being beat up by this, you know, other immigrant who, uh, who is an actor that's actually named Joseph. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. And uh, as he's beating him up, since our characters were kind of, you know, uh, in a lot of scenes with Mark and honest characters, we were, uh, we kind of came up with this backstory where it's like, oh, I would feel protective and maybe want to go defend him. And then you pull me back because you don't want me to get beat up too. So like little things like that, it was fun just kind of, um, you know, creating these little small moments that I feel like made the, you know, even though they show up for a second, it kind of makes it all feel a little more real um, so I'm glad that we got to do all of that together and that, you know, neither of us were phoning it in, uh, yes, agreed. W- when it's definitely, um, easy to do at times, you know, that it could, Certainly. We
1: and, and sometimes, you know, it was mind games, um, you know, when some of it would just feel, um. Oh, well, how do, how do I put this the right way? It, it it just felt like the same like wheel every day when, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, well, like we just feel like we're in the background. But ultimately, I think acting is you're in character and you're experiencing something with another being or atmosphere. And how do you react to the circumstances around you? And you don't really need an audience for that. Yeah. And so I think to get over the mind games, it's like, Okay instead of being discouraged like oh like i you know i don't have a big scene or whatever it was like no like i can still take this opportunity to do what i love and to still to still act with this amazing co-star of mine <laughs> um jordan ross and we can have fun um doing what we love even if nobody sees us yeah um and so that that i think helps like reframe um just how to maximize a great yeah. experience on set yeah
2: well that's
0: what i i was going to ask like how you but I think you kind of answered the question though about how you balanced the you know cuz as actors we all there is a bit of that ego where it's like we see other people that have a really like meaty scene and we're like I could do that I want to do that <laughs> and uh where so there there's a bit of that where it's like um not like jealousy but just w- we're actors we want to act we want we want to um you know have have something to do and uh I think that that's how I was able to, um, fight those feelings on set, which was just to be in the moment and, you know, respond to it truthfully and create these little backstories. And it made it all feel, um, you know, more authentic. And it was, it it actually was fulfilling and it's, uh, that's how I was kind of able to escape those, those, feelings of like well we're just you know background we're just you know like which there's nothing wrong with that I used to do a ton of background and
1: I'm so appreciative of the background actors who worked on eighteen eighty yeah, because they, they worked so m- more
0: than us honestly
2: oh, and, oh my goodness
1: yeah <laughs> like, and, and they didn't you know yeah they're I'm just sorry yeah. but my, I'm frazzled because my mind is blown on how Um, They always showed up for work. They were always excited to be there. Yeah, Um, And they had sometimes longer days. And
0: like physically, it was a brutal shoot because we're driving an hour to set. And then (laughs) once we're on set, then we have to drive in a van another like 20 minutes to some (laughs) ice, like a mountain out in the middle of of Montana. And then we get in like a gator and then have to go even further out. (laughs) So we can get onto the wagon, and like it was just like such a, an exhausting shoot. And there was you know injuries. There were Mm -hmm. asthma attacks. There was like all sort. There was crazy stunts and Mm
2: -hmm.
0: big set pieces that we we had to be a part of. But um, it's actually funny. So on the Chosen, I on set a lot of our background actors this season were some of our fellow immigrants on 1883. Oh my goodness. Um, And then uh, I just did like this, this uh, appearance, um, like a speaking thing. And uh, some of the people that showed up were like one of the immigrant families that was there throughout the entire show. So it was really cool, like getting to reconnect with some of the our our fellow immigrants. Um, But uh, what else was I Oh, yeah. So what is your your favorite memory from, uh, shooting or just like a couple of the things that pop into your head whenever you're thinking about your time on 1883.
1: Jordan, there's probably too many. Um, I will say I, I did absolutely love Montana. Um, and that was not my first time to Montana, but I actually went back in June. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, because I just I loved Livingston so much and um yeah. I felt like there was more I wanted to do there and I got to go back to Missoula and visit some people in um Hamilton and at any rate um I just I love Montana. So even though it was frigid, I much prefer the freezing cold over the sweltering heat. Yeah, same. Um yeah. And um so that and I felt like we were all at a place with Texas where we were kind of just getting into this slump right before Montana and I felt like when we had traveled to another state there was just like this breath of fresh air that everyone had and we were like, okay, we're gonna make it through the rest of this long shoot. Yeah. Um so I did love that. Um I'm I'm very much even though I it's so funny I'm like borderline introvert extrovert on the scale, but um I really did i love connecting with people i think that's what makes um life kind of go around (laughs) so um so just just becoming friends with people on set was um such a delight and um yeah and i i mean there were like you had missed this unfortunately but like during cowboy camp like we would have like dance parties and costume parties And I mean, it was just a blast and a half. Um, And yeah, I love getting my groove on for better or for worse. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's probably Uh, best that I missed those because uh, I'm not a dancer.
1: (laughs) Um, So yeah, just bonding with people, but then getting to work together. I mean, if you're asking me like favorite moments of the whole show, I would say really there are just too many. But if it comes to like favorite moments on the show, Um, I will say, I mean, probably my scene with Noah, um, because I'm three hours hair and makeup and and Tim and Emerald did such a phenomenal job. It's also spoiler alert, like people fast forward. Um, but making my character of making Alina look scalped. Yeah. And, um, And yeah, special effects, makeup, like everything was just so top notch. And then to go out in this beautiful country, like surrounded by mountains and it's still freezing cold and the wind is still blowing like crazy. (laughs) And to be able to do my own stunts, which is also terrifying because you have like, you're running towards a gun that you know is going to fire at you, especially after um, hearing about what happened with Rust. Yeah. Now having you know, to trust that our armor, Ian, who was phenomenal, um, is going to keep everybody safe, but you know a blank's going to be shot. So, like, all of these factors and... Um, but also digging into to character and being like, what would it be like? And I actually looked up a number of survivors that had survived skills.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs>
1: and there's only, like, seven that are, I guess, in history, um, recorded in history to survive, but... Um, yeah you do end up blacking out and then waking up um is what normally happened with people so I was like okay and then she's all and then Alina has like two or three arrows in her yeah (laughs) so um but it was just so much fun getting to getting that you know traumatic death that everyone yeah arguably
0: like the most (laughs) gruesome death on the the show for sure yeah it was uh uh, I just realized speaking of blood, a scab came off of my leg and I just, <laughs> I felt, I was like, why is my leg wet? And there's are just, okay? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, no, but we, uh, that was a really fun sequence, like that whole battle that we shot. Cause it took like three or four days to shoot all of it. Cause there was so much that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it was really cold up there yeah. and you and I both are covered in blood And uh, and it's like this wet, gooey makeup, and it's like freezing on our faces. (laughs) And I remember, you know, we're like in these tents that are almost blowing away, trying to stay warm. Did blow
2: away, Jordan? Yeah,
0: and it was, it was such a fun. Uh, like as actors, you want to be a part of like these big, these big uh, scenes and like battle scenes and and these exciting sequences, and we got to do that, and uh, it was. You know, I remember a horse almost stepped on my head. Oh my gosh, I
1: remember that.
0: There was a, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time, but it was, it was fun. My favorite part at the end of each of those days, because I think it was four days I had, you and I both had to have all of the special effects, uh, effects makeup on. And Mm -hmm. we, um... At the end of the day, getting to go back to the makeup trailer hair and makeup trailers and getting like a head massage and uh, like the hot water yeah, right. after yeah. thirty degree weather, I do want to shift gears and talk about uh you know you're you're very involved with like nonprofit organizations and and with helping specifically women that have been victims of uh sex trafficking and how did you get involved in all of that and like Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the work that you're doing and some of the statistics that people might not be aware of, but what can you tell us about what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So I've been a team leader um, and volunteer and anti trafficking advocate with After Hours Ministry for about a decade. Um, Soon after I'd kind of settled into L.A., um, I had gotten involved and how I got connected with that organization was I had read a book that just inspired me to serve my community more. And, um, I felt like it was really important, um, to stay balanced, um, to realize that there are other people in need. And I feel like it's a common temptation with actors, um, to be, like you said, egocentric, like, Yeah, it's very tempting to make your whole world about you or what you can get or who you can use. And I I don't really like doing any of that stuff. Although I also know, you know, networking is helpful. And making connections and genuine friendships is helpful. Yeah. um, To succeed in in whatever capacity people would like, but I always wanted to be able to give back to people in need. And anti human trafficking was never on my radar <laughs> like i didn't know it was happening in the united states let alone in california where i live and i just knew that i wanted to serve more and so i had been attending a church at the time that um had announced they had been helping support after hours ministry and um there is a training after service one day If you want to check it out and learn more. And it just piques my interest enough because I, even to this day, um, get insomnia. I'm a bit of a night owl. And I knew waking up really early to serve at a soup kitchen or something of the equivalent was probably not going to work for my physical health.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um, and
1: so, So I was like, okay, I need something where I can serve at night. And this organization would serve like 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. So I was like, I could do that. Um, So I went to a training and it was a little mind blowing. Um, And I had learned and obviously it's now fast forward 10 years later. There's currently almost um, 25 million human trafficking victims around the world. Um, That's calculated by the U.S. Department of State. And, um, the federal government recognizes that human trafficking, um, specifically sex trafficking is when, um, someone, uh, has a, a paid, hold on, let me read the definition for the podcast. So it's accurate. Um, but it's essentially when someone does a commercial paid sex act, Mm -hmm. um, due to fraud, coercion. Um, deceit force and there's one other um, stipulation that would categorize something as trafficking or if anyone does a commercial paid sex act under the age of 18 because it right. would be considered non-consensual over my life. Yeah. and so I had just started learning that there's a lot of predominantly women um, and girls who make up over 90% of Sex trafficking victims um it is a sexist industry um that are I just dropped my phone <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there are predominantly a number of women and girls that are falling prey to human traffickers, and also my idea of who human traffickers were has varied the more uh, I've become involved with multiple organizations. And, you know, I I, honestly, I used to be somebody that would maybe hear about prostitution and and maybe have a lot of judgment there. And now I say victims of prostitution are survivors of human trafficking because so many of the women who turn tricks and who are sex trafficked have experienced various levels of trauma. And a lot of them can come from sexual abuse of a family member, of a friend, of a neighbor, someone they trust. And when you have this makeup of poverty um, and a emotionally or mentally uh, abusive relationship, where someone is essentially manipulated into turning tricks, and it's for their benefit,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, then we can see that due to that misinformation that person now believes, um, they've been tricked into circumstances they maybe wouldn't have otherwise chosen for themselves. Yeah. and. So I started kind of, the more I learned and I was kind of reframing, um, oh my gosh, so many of these people, these women, um, are actually in need of assistance and, um, a lot of healing, a lot of internal healing. And so that's essentially why I chose to get involved with After after hours ministry 10 years ago. Um. To be able to do what I can. And that organization has two predominant wings. The first is street outreach, and the second is aftercare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've volunteered with both. But that organization will actually go to women um, who are trying to turn tricks on the street. And we build relationships with them. We want them to know they're not judged. Um, whatever circumstances they're facing, we just want them to know that we're here for them whenever they're ready to transition out or if they just need emotional support, if they need if they need a free meal, if they need shelter, whether a long-term program or emergency shelter. Um, And so we kind of bridge the gap between um, programs that are isolated into just having kind of like a a women's shelter. So they don't go out necessarily and do street outreach. So what we do is um, we make these relationships um, and then we give them our hotline card um and see if they if they call or text and then they transition to our our aftercare team which is when we meet up with them we'll do phone calls with them yeah text with them and and help them get to where they need to go
0: I remember you I, I when you were saying that I remembered one of the statistics that you had mentioned um about women that like get out and then go back to it uh how many times uh, on average, does it take for them to like get out and go back before they're like permanently out?
1: About seven times. Wow. So That's... yeah, our, our organization will assist a woman to help get out of what's called the game. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we, we might see them a few months later, we might see them three years later. Actually, I just saw at our last street outreach, um, I saw someone I hadn't seen in about four or five years back on the streets wow and um you know there's any number of reasons why um yeah. they end up back on the streets oftentimes it's because they're once again manipulated by their pimp um and or threatened um or um you know in some cases there is sex addiction um which developed obviously due to those circumstances um either childhood trauma with sexual abuse um it's more rare at least from discussions I've had that, um, a woman is experiencing sex addiction later in life. It's normally stemmed from trauma. Yeah. Um, and, um, or, you know, again, they're just tight and they need some fast cash. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and so, so, and there's, there's more reasons than that. Why, why women end up returning back to really dangerous situations. Um, and a lot of them do know the risk because there are, John's um men who purchase sex that um are not moral people, and so they uh, you know can potentially harm um women you know i've I've had to help women off the street who get pepper sprayed who get um you know we've had eggs or glass thrown at us because we're trying to help, and women have had uh, women that I've talked to have had knives pulled on them, guns pulled on them um and so you know women. Even um, women who are survivors of sex trafficking, you know, they'll even say, well, I was raped. And some people will be like, well, you know, we don't really have empathy or sympathy for you because you put yourself in that situation. The thing is, they were expecting, again, a cash transaction and they'll they'll provide a trick and then they won't get paid. And so then in their mind, they say, well, that's rape. Mm -hmm. When according to our organization, well, if you've gotten to the place that you are turning tricks because of your abuse, unhealed abuse, then again, we would consider that uh, non-consensual sex. So, sex trafficking victims that are forced or coerced um, are manipulated into doing tricks. Well, that's non-consensual anyway because you've been yeah. misled. So, um, so yeah, it's a very complicated issue, but one that I've had increasing empathy for over the years, especially now that I know how many um, victims and survivors there are um, out there in the world and also in every single state in the United States. People don't realize that sex trafficking is happening in your local community.
0: Right. Well, that's, you know, I'm, and people may not believe this because of how many people are porn watchers, but I'm not a porn watcher. Um, And it's something, and that's not to say like as a teenager that I, you know, didn't, you know, I didn't have curiosities and I didn't look stuff up or have friends show me things like it's almost unavoidable in this day and age with cell phones and all of that stuff, even when we were younger. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I have been exposed to that kind of stuff, but having, uh such a really deep respect for the women in my life. Um and and having my, my closest friends growing up were always girls. And I uh a lot of my girlfriends um whenever like my my first girlfriends had a lot of, of trauma earlier in their lives. And yeah. you know, there's the, the term like slut shaming like people, which I, I don't like that term anyway. Yeah, but like right. um there's they they. I, I remember seeing, uh, you know, whether they were friends or if I had a girlfriend and, and seeing the pain they were in when people would comment on uh, that part of their lives. And it's mm-hmm. like I could see what was what uh, all of that stemmed from. And I felt I always felt really a, a lot of empathy for them. And um, that's why when it comes to porn or, you know, strip clubs and stuff like that uh, I've always had, uh, empathy there, there, there's been like this, um, I I don't know, I don't know what I would call it, but there's, it's never been like this, this desire to, um, you know, seek that kind of stuff out because to me, I, even if it's someone that's not being forced into it, even if it's someone that willingly did it in my mind, I feel like they're, most people are, are, don't su- aren't going to willingly subject themselves to, um, you know, being in the porn industry or or, or yeah. Um, Most people like
1: want that. a loving relationship, yeah, That's consensual, yeah, um, yeah,
0: unless there's <laughs> unless they've experienced some sort of trauma or something right. like that. And I I remember not too long ago reading an article about I guess she was a well known porn star, um, but who, she committed suicide, and it was. Yeah she was a well-known porn star that worked for like a very, uh, I guess like reputable porn studio, you know, where it was like they did everything by the books and they were tested and it was, you know, they, they approached it like a movie studio would approach their films. And, um, but even in that situation um, where, you know, she's, I guess by most definitions, not technically being forced into it or anything, there still was a lot of, damage and trauma there, um, that led to her entering into that industry in the first place. So, right. um, I've always, that's always been, uh, something that's been so, so sad to me is when, when people like, I, I think we've, we discussed this, but I have been to a strip club. It was the only strip club I've been to. I was, Oh, 18. you've
1: told me this story.
0: Yes. So I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. um i had you know uh I'm, i was going to say my uncle but i don't want to throw him under the under the bus <laughs> yeah cut that I'll, out I'll cut <laughs> that out um i i was 18 years old and i i had some peer pressure to go to a strip club and um because i was of age and it's you know what what you're supposed to do whenever you turn 18 um and i remember going and it was on christmas eve uh and we went there and the The one of the the dancers came over and was talking to me and the person who took me there was like, here, I'm giving you money. I'm paying for your first lap dance. Uh, And he went off to, you know, find another dancer. So I was there with this girl who was also 18. We were both 18 years old. Um, And I remember seeing her and just thinking, for one, how young she looked. And she sat on the chair and we uh, the whole time I'm like, make eye contact don't look anywhere else, because I didn't want to be like disrespectful. Um, So we're just making eye contact, talking. And uh, she was like, I don't like this song. We'll wait for a song that um, that, uh, you know, that I, I want to dance to or whatever. So I'm just like nervous, not knowing what to do. I'm like, okay, so we just start making small talk. And for like three songs, she's not dancing or anything. She's just sitting on like the arm of my chair talking about life and like I asked how she got into this line of work and she said that like you know her parents had kicked her out and she had an abusive boyfriend and you know a lot of the the stories that you hear Mm -hmm. and uh that it's the only thing she could do to make that much money at at that time and she was Mm -hmm. saving up to go to school and all this stuff and I still think about her (laughs) like every couple of months I'm like I hope she's doing okay um but it's that was my first and only experience, uh, at a strip club. And it was, um, you know, I I've, it kind of helped me from then on view anyone that's in that line of work in that way where it's like, I I don't have any judgment for any of them. I I get that, like, you know, circumstances are really hard and that there's so much trauma and abuse. And like you said, manipulation and, um stuff like that but my heart breaks for for people when i when they you know feel like there is no other option or like this you know that it's the only thing that they can do and i think that it's so great what you're doing is that showing people that there are other options and that there um is a way out as as uh you know hopeless as it as it seems at times
1: um is there
0: oh, oh sorry go ahead no no go
1: uh, I I was just going to say, you brought up, uh, pornography addiction. And I think that's another avenue that a lot of people in our society and I would assume around the world don't realize entirely what's happening behind the camera. Right. And a lot of people are manipulated into the porn industry under the guise of success, money, fame, whatever it is. Um, some people are forced to do it because their lives are threatened or their family's lives are threatened. Um, so there's any number of situations that will continue uh, that that will continue an abusive situation for somebody, and then just put the sexually abusive situation on camera. Yeah. And to to that effect, a lot of people don't also realize. When there are women who are trying to garnish the attention of men um, to be their customers, they will smile and they will flirt and they will flaunt um, and they will strut and all these things to get someone's attention. And a lot of people will interpret that type of behavior as, oh, they want me. They want this. They want to do what they're doing. Yeah. I would say the average American doesn't realize that when women are doing that, they normally have quotas that they have to fill with their pimps. And there are renegades out there. Those are women who don't have pimps. But um, a lot of them have pimps that are requiring them to make a certain amount of money. And so they are not necessarily wanting to have sex with you or wanting to perform sex acts with you but they are in need of money and whether they're being pressured from their pimp or whether they need to provide for themselves. And so that is um, I think I wish more people understood that even with pornography, similar to how the women behave on the streets, just because they're trying to get your attention or just because they're on camera doesn't mean there isn't a deeper issue happening. Yeah. And so I'm very protective of, for instance, even in our industry, I'm very protective of women not being sexually exploited mm-hmm. because nudity can be gratuitous. Um, I understand it's it's every woman's choice to do what she wants with her body. Um, however, I would also examine with each script, is it necessary? Can yeah. it be edited a certain way? Um, are there certain protections in place? Is there an intimacy advisor from the union? Um, are they being compensated for being that vulnerable or exposing themselves? So I'm, I kind of get mama bear, (laughs) um, because of the volunteer work that I do. And knowing that even for instance, if a woman isn't necessarily sex trafficked, if she doesn't fit the definition for trafficking, which is not mind you. Just crossing state or country lines. That's right. also a misconception. But um, if she is sex trafficked even locally, um, or if she's not sex trafficked, even locally, she could still be sexually exploited. Sure. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I'm very protective of, of women in the industry um, for that reason.
0: Well, there's some, I'm sure you have uh, plenty of, of stories or friends that have told you stories, but I know with me, like in the industry, I have so many actress friends who have felt pressured to do something or um you know have have given in to the pressure at times because there's the powers uh, you know or the the power dynamics where they feel like there's again not really an option like if I say no, am I going to be fired? am I going to be blacklisted um i've
1: experienced and, it, I've experienced this myself I was yeah. you know when you when you stand up to someone you respect, um, who's, you know, having work on their project, whatever it is to say no to something when they're expecting you to say yes, there is a chance you could get fired. Yeah. And, you know, I've just been put in situations where I, I knew it would be, it would mean more to myself in the long run to say no Yeah. than to be pressured into, uh, a quick decision right um and i i definitely feel the same way for any other women working on set i don't want anyone to feel pressured to do anything they don't want to do
0: yeah exactly have you noticed uh speaking of our industry um and as someone who's who's worked in it for a while previous to the me too movement like have you noticed uh, since that's kind of happened and become it it's uh allowed for you know, obviously more of uh, uh, more opportunities and, and more of a safe space for women to speak up. Uh, have you noticed a big difference? And if so, like, what have been the areas that you've, you've seen the most change happen?
1: I definitely think there's been a, a change. It doesn't mean that compromising situations still don't happen. Right. Um, however, I would say there is definitely more accountability. Yeah. Um and so, one of the great things that has stemmed from the Me Too Mint is is that there are more female leaders in the industry. We have an increase in female directors. Shout out to Christina, you're awesome. I was just
0: about to say, Christina <laughs> is one of my favorite directors I've Loved ever with worked her. with, like in theater, yeah. film, anything. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah,
1: fantastic. Yeah. Um. So there's been an increase in female directors, female screenwriters, female producers. Now it's still not to the degree we need it to be right for yeah. for full equality looking at ratios if there's 50-50 in the world there's 50-50 in the entertainment industry yeah. in leadership positions but um I do think that, that that there is growth happening and that helps change the dynamic of of just women and sex in the industry overall Um, I think that there's also, um, you know, obviously it's better on set that there's now intimacy advisors, um, that are part of union contracts. Um, I think that there is more accountability that if somebody, if a man decides to take a risk, um, and pressure a woman that she knows she has a voice Mm -hmm. and that's probably one of probably the most powerful thing that happened from the me too movement. That women feel like they can now speak up about compromising situations yeah. where they don't want to do something, but because they want to, they want to keep a job um, or they want to be liked by someone, um, they put themselves in, in something that doesn't make them comfortable. And now, thanks to the Me Too movement, if something makes a woman feel uncomfortable, she can speak out about it.
0: It's one of those things like in the industry, so many people, I remember being a teenager in LA and you'd hear jokes about Weinstein and things like that. Like even then where people knew and it was just one of those things Yeah, yeah, where you can't say, you don't say anything like, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. And I think with, um, like you said, the accountability, it, it makes it so more and more people are like, you know, speaking up because they know that they have to, because if you don't, then you also are accountable too. So Mm -hmm. I think, uh, that has been key. Um, and it's, there's still definitely a lot of, of work to do, but it's, I think it's moving in the right direction anyway. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but you're good. What, uh, what do you have going on that you want to plug? Where can people find you and how can people, get involved with the work you're doing for uh victims of of sex trafficking.
1: Yes. Okay. So, if people want to find me on Instagram, it's just Amanda Jaris, Jaros J A R O S. Um it is a Czech last name. It's pronounced Jarosh, but we've americanized it. So, Amanda J A R O S on Instagram or Twitter. I'm not on Twitter a lot, FYI. <laughs> um, or um let's see what else. Um, as for After Hours Ministry, just go to afterhoursministry.org to read more about what that organization is doing to help victims and survivors of sex trafficking, specifically in Los Angeles, California. Um, there are other organizations in other states, but obviously After Hours Ministry would love your support. And, um, and then, yeah, keep uh, posted about where my scripts are going to be headed, um, which will be very exciting. And hopefully I will have some good news for everybody soon.
0: Yay, I can't wait to hear. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, so I always end the interviews with this question, but okay. what
2: is the thing that you love most about yourself? My goodness.
1: Oh. Um I well, it's like multifaceted. I'm yeah. I think I think I'm torn between um I think I always want to learn from my mistakes. Yeah. um, Which is sometimes really hard to do. Um, But then we, I I do it unwillingly. (laughs) Um, So I I think what I love most about myself is I always want to learn from my mistakes. Um, And with that, I think I always want to try and love people better. Um, And that one thing in regards to that is not just loving them how I think how I would receive love, but also trying to understand them better so I know how they would receive love better from me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably what I love most about myself.
2: Well,
0: as someone who's proud to call you a friend, I I definitely see that in you. You're um very thoughtful and and are are really good at meeting people where they're at. And um were Just the way you interact with everyone on set from, you know, whether it's like our 200 extras on set or hair and makeup or Taylor Sheridan and Tim McGraw, like whoever it is that you're interacting with, you have the same love and respect for them. And I think that's really uh, admirable. And I also love your uh, confidence in your convictions. Um, you aren't afraid to, and it's something I uh, need to work on, but it, you're not afraid to like speak your mind, but in a respectful way, uh, I'm way too much of a people pleaser at times. And I know you can be I've too. been there. Yeah. I know. but
1: <laughs> I've, Yeah. I've gone to therapy for that, but it's yeah. working. So.
0: <laughs> so if it's like, if I see now, if I saw a friend that, you know, someone was, was disrespecting, it's a lot easier for me to speak up then. But if it's myself, I'm very much, uh, like, I'll just kind of let people do whatever. I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, even if I'm not necessarily comfortable or or feel respected with, you know, from what they said. So I, I think that I, I really admire that you're able to, Stand up for yourself. And, uh, you know, there were times throughout shooting where even if it's a little thing, like I'd see you, you know, state your opinion, even if it was different from the person we're talking to. And I was like, (laughs) I want to do more of that. Um, And
1: uh, I
0: I think of like Constantine. I love Constantine. I love
1: him so much.
0: He's similar in that, like, he's not afraid to say his opinion either. So it was Mm -hmm. fun watching the two of you sometimes, like a brother and sister. Oh, Go we are it. like
1: we are like a brother and sister. That's why. I yeah.
2: Love
1: but and, we also uh, there has to be also a level of respect there, right? I, I think when I, I unfortunately, I think our society has created kind of a polarized atmosphere. So it's it's almost like this mindset of like, well, if you love me, then you have to agree with me, right. and and I would disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I love you, but I don't have to agree with everything that that you believe or think but I love you anyway. You know, like, I still want to be kind to you. I want, I want to wish you well. Um, and I want to respect you. Um, like, I don't want to call you insults. You're entitled to your own opinion and I hope it's educated and well-researched and, um, and thought out and not a conspiracy theory. And, (laughs) and, um, you know, yeah, there can be, I think a lot of people need to learn that, Hey, our society will probably be better if we learn how to love and respect each other better so
0: it was so good like catching up with you You're and awesome.
1: thank you so much awesome. for having me of You're
0: course awesome. i'll talk to you soon
1: okay bye
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of What's Your Limp. Now, before we move into the outro and talk about next week's guest, I just want to take another second to thank another one of our sponsors. This time, I am talking about Inclusion Coffee in downtown Arlington. Now, Inclusion Coffee is located right off of Main Street, a really cool location. It has a lot of really tall two story window. So there's a lot of natural light that comes in delicious coffee, delicious teas, delicious pastries and sandwiches and tacos and all sorts of stuff. They have plenty of seating. They even have a few private rooms that you can rent out or reserve uh, for meetings, or if you just want a little more peace and quiet while you get your work done. So it's it's a really, really awesome place. It's a really awesome place. Uh, I've taken my kids there several times just to get some breakfast if I don't feel like cooking at home. I always get the white chocolate mocha, but they have a ton of different options. Uh, So go check out Inclusion Coffee in Arlington, Texas. Whether you're just looking for a, a relaxing coffee with a friend or breakfast with the family or just wanting to get some work done, it is the perfect place for you. Inclusion Coffee in Arlington, Texas. And be sure to follow them on Instagram at, you guessed it, Inclusion Coffee. Anyway, I hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Amanda as much as I did. You can go give her a follow on Instagram at Amanda Jaros, which is J-A-R-O-S, and uh, show her some love there and uh, support her both as an artist as well as an advocate and activist for others. Um, anyway, thanks again for coming on, Amanda. It was so great catching up with you. Uh, but now is the time for me to talk about next week's guest. Before I do that, I do want to remind everyone once again to go see The Chosen in theaters on November 18th, where we will be releasing episodes one and two. Also today, which is Monday, October 17th, we have officially released the full trailer for season three. So if you haven't watched it yet, head on over to YouTube, uh, just type in The Chosen on YouTube and it should be one of the first things that pops up. And uh, I hope you enjoy it because I had chills the entire time I was watching that trailer. Um, but speaking of The Chosen, next week's guest is another one of my chosen castmates. This time, I am talking to the person that has been on this journey with me since day one. Uh, our two characters are pretty much glued to the hip. Or the original apostles we were the the OGs the or I guess the the OAs uh we were the first two on the show to officially uh be students of Jesus and uh I am talking about none other than Giovanni Cairo who plays Thaddeus rad thad uh Giovanni is one of my favorite people in the world he is just so genuinely sweet and uh just happy he's he's one of the most positive optimistic content happy people that i've ever known and he's such a genuine friend uh he's someone that you know if if he sees that you posted on social media that you're you're fighting a cold or that you had a loss in the family or whatever it is whatever you're going through if giovanni sees that on social media or, or catches wind of it, he's gonna be the first person to reach out and check in and um offer a helping hand, whatever that might be. So I love Giovanni. Um and uh try to be more like him. And uh I, I can't wait to put him on the spot and talk to him about all of that because I know like myself, Giovanni can feel uncomfortable when he's being complimented. So uh I'm I'm excited to tell him all of this to his virtual face uh, when I, I talk with him this week. But that will be the episode you have to look forward to next Monday. So be sure to tune in, listen to my conversation with Giovanni. In the meantime, remember to love your limp, be good to yourselves, and y'all have a good one.